Hello and welcome to the next episode of The Prestige, a podcast about films, filmmaking and film theory. Each programme we'll focus on a particular movie, talk about the movie, review it, some of our thoughts and some of the ideas and themes it throws up. And we'll always end with recommendations for films to watch after this week's film, usually based on the themes and ideas and also on the actors and directors involved but to be honest the links are as closer as tenuous as we want my name's rob maythorn i have spent the last 10 years in the film industry his name is sam knowles he has spent the last 10 years lecturing and teaching and writing about culture and this week, Rob, it was your choice. It was my choice. Uh, this is a film I actually believe I, I recommended previously on a uh, further reading. And it was uh, the 2000 and 2005 film from Ryan Johnson, Brick. Brendan? Emily? I really screwed up. Screwed up how? The brick. What? I, I didn't know it was bad, but the pin's on it now. you got to help me. Slow down now, <laughs> No. Emily said words I didn't know. Tell me if they catch. Brick? No. Tug? Tug might be a drink. Like milk and vodka. Pin? You know the kingpin. Dope runner, right? Big time. What are you gonna do? She asked for my help. I just wanna know if she's okay. So what's first? I'm gonna start shaking things up. As I said, Brick comes from Ryan Johnson. Same director as Looper, I believe, and a few other good films to his name it stars Jason Gordon-Levitt as a teenage boy in American high school whose girlfriend goes missing and his adventures to go and find her it's notable in that it takes the tropes and plot lines of a classic hard-boiled film noir and transposes them onto an American high school um, in California, it is has great support in it from Nora Zahana, Lucas Haas, Emil de Raven, lots of people who you'd recognise from uh, sort of different places, and that's probably without giving too much away a, a good enough a good enough summary, really. Mm. Sam, your thoughts? Yes, um, I really like this film, um, and. I, I think we will get into spoiler territory very quickly in this, but something I can say with no spoilers is that this film is so much better than The Lone Ranger. And it was so, <laughs> I don't think that was hard. Relief. It was such a relief. <laughs> um, so it's, it, one of the first things I wrote down is that there's nothing showy about this film. Um, it doesn't... I'm trying to think what I mean by that. There's no, yeah, there's nothing flashy. But when when you said um, this link to um, hard boy film noir, it was, I mean, that's that's something that it, it's probably me me being me being stupid and and not coming to that realization. And it was only when you said it when we were talking about it afterwards that I thought, yes, that is exactly what it is. Um, and I, I couldn't really work out what it was. It just felt pared down and cool and an enjoyable film. I didn't, and I, I struggled to think of things to compare it with until I started thinking along those film noir lines. And one of the 
one of the things that I thought of and rejected was um, the a bad education, not the Jack Whitehill film, but the Pedro Almodovar film of two thousand and four. It was it's that sort of sparse and mm-hmm. unforgiving mood about it, um, yes. and that was that was something I really enjoyed about this film. Yeah, I I, I agree. With I recommended it having seen it before couple of times and really liking it um i think that you're right it, it, it doesn't say it does a lot with not much shall mm. we say you've got yes. maybe a push of three or four locations um but it, it does a lot with it and all the characters were realized from my point of view, I, i'm a big fan of film noir and i love this you've got all the tropes you've got the assistant vice principal uh, playing the role of the of the police cop trying to you know turn the gumshoe over you've got brain as his kind of you know his informant and source you've got femme patels you've got hard men you've got kingpins it's it's one of those things that when i first heard about it i really didn't think it was going to work but it really, really does work. I think visually, it's great. I think that it's that it's very monotone, apart from a few odd scenes here and there. It's very kind of toned down in the colour. Mm. But I mean, the, the opening shot, the opening shot is Jason God Levitt's character, um, Brendan, looking at the corpse of his girlfriend. It's literally the opening shot of the film, mm. and and nothing happens for sort of. A minute, probably, of him just him sitting there looking at it, but it holds your attention straight off the bat. Mm. Um, and throughout, there's wonderful scenes of what's the camera. There's a scene in which a local sort of drug enforcer called Tugger beats up Jason Gordon Levitt. Jason Gordon Levitt is trying to get attention of his boss, the Kingpin, um, and he keeps trying to throw himself at Tugger to try and sort of see. And the camera just swings left and right as Brendan comes in and gets knocked down. It comes in, and gets knocked down, and it's just the the camera work builds. It's noticeable. You notice the camera as a moving object within the scene, but it builds on the emotion and the and the action within the scene beautifully. Hmm. Yeah. It's when when you talk about um, just to go back to this this thing about color. When you say monotone. I think people who who haven't seen this film and who in general have set ideas about film, when you say monotone or monochromatic, they tend to think, oh, it's just it's just a bit black and white. It's a bit boring. That's not what this. Not that there's any correlation between black and white and boring, and that's something different we'll get into another time. But this film is not black and white. Um, It's sort of bluey and greeny. But it's 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 very it's very toned down, like you said. But um, it's something that I think you got in in the film like The Revenant recently, um, and the the light in that was very particularly muted, and the way they did that was shooting only at, at particular times of day. And I don't think they did that in Brick, but it's the same sort of effect. It's the same sort of muted effect that's not black and white it's just it's a a different sort of color yeah and i think that the thing that works here it gives the film an incredible timeless quality Mm. the film 
you know, the, 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 the film doesn't feature mobile phones. It features, like, um, corded phones, but not in a way that makes it feel like it was a time for, for call boxes. It just feels that that's the affectation of, of these kids. It feels modern, but also weirdly timeless. The cars are old cars, but it's clearly a modern set story. And I think the colour helps that. You know, as discussed in the past, films, film looks do go through fashions. They do go through certain colour scheme palettes repeated a lot in certain periods. And this kind of sits outside that. It gives it this weird timeless quality that I think builds on the idea of this, the film noir, which is very clearly a 30s, 40s genre that doesn't exist anymore, really, transplanted onto modern-day California high school. The colour works. It builds on that. It is, you know, it is, it all play, it comes together perfectly to tell this story. Hmm. Yeah. There was something about the the narrative as well. Um, it was, I, I suppose, if you want to boil it down, it is Brendan looking for his ex girlfriend. But it it felt like he wasn't really looking for his ex girlfriend. There was that sense of, as in film noir, you get searching for the MacGuffin, and famously, there's really nothing there they're looking mm. for. It it had that sort of feel about it that. He didn't. I mean, obviously, he cared about Emily, but that wasn't that wasn't quite the object of his search. And you were never quite sure what the object of his search was. Yes, I mean, infamously with film noir, it's kind of a little bit less about that. That it's not you aren't, but you aren't looking for narrative cohesion. Mm. You aren't looking for a beautifully plotted. You know, everything pays off at the end kind of story it's about the feel and the story and the moments and one thing that really stood out in this film that turned a lot of people off when it first came out was it has its own language there's a whole world of slang in this film that is entirely made up for the film yeah the there, were, cool. there were there were scenes in this where i thought i have understood absolutely nothing particularly when brendan's talking to brick i'm like i I understood about one word in every five there. I've got no idea what's going on. And and, and when they first screened it in America, it was released with a a codex to explain some of the slang. And I've seen (laughs) it three or four times now, and I get a lot more of the slang. But there is a whole scene in which Brain is talking to Brendan, and they're trying to work out the slang for something Mm. else. He gets a, a garbled message from his from his ex girlfriend. Yes, yeah. And, and they're sitting there trying to work out the slang, you know. And it's it's probably as Sam and I grew up together um, at school, and our group of friends certainly had slang that only worked to the ten people in our our, our home group. In, in in our group of friends, there was slang that only made sense to us. This is obviously tightened, taken to an extreme, but it's certainly part of that teenage experience of having these words that only relate to you and it's not that i've just noticed another note i've got actually it's not just teenage although it is um there's something else in this film when the pin mentions tolkien at one point um and there are there have been several writers who have used this have have created another language and whether that's created another language for a particular effect 
with its own rules, but not necessarily doing so extensively like Anthony Burgess in Clockwork Orange, or that's J.R. Tolkien going to town and fully committing to Elvish. Mm. There is a history of cultural production involving the creation of a language in a certain in a certain way and it, it being used and it's as you said it's used here to to give you the sense that there is a particular teenage world being created so just to kind of kick it a little bit wider uh you the film obviously is kind of this transposing of these old tropes how do you think it worked was it was it successful do you think um yes i think it was um it had i mean you you've just commented on how narrative cohesion is famously not something that you look for in a film like this a film like the films it's based on but you do you don't just want a film that makes no sense and is bizarre at the end because then you've got a coen brothers film Mm. But you you do enough, yeah. <laughs> you do and I I love Go Brothers films but they they are bizarre. Um, here you have a particular sort of resolution, um, and I thought that worked really well. Um, I thought that worked particularly well in the last scene where it becomes clear to Brendan what has happened to him, and what happened to Emily, um. And so for him, there was a realisation. For him, there was some sort of... Well, not satisfaction, because it wasn't satisfying, but the the narrative was resolved. Um, and so I thought, I thought it did really well to bring some resolution to this narrative, while at the same time leaving so many of the characters completely dissatisfied. Mm. I think mean, that it's a... That that is a, a, a large common trope of the film noir genre is the that the the ending is not a happy one, mm. whether it's via betrayal or whether it's via something coming to light they didn't know. There's very much a, a a rich history of the good guy winning but really not winning. Yes. Yeah. Um, now, famously, um, film noir is often sort of cast as a, as a reaction to post-war America. Um, and the idea that a lot of men have gone off to war, come back, and the women who are left behind have got are filled in in the roles they've been doing, and there's this kind of growing, I suppose maybe misogynistic, mistrust of women, and and, and 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 the dislike of female agency growing, um, and obviously. Film noirs are very much about the femme fatale, about being betrayed by your women. There's a lot of that running through those stories. And if you look back at a lot of old film noir, they can come off very, very misogynistic. You know, that, that, that sexuality is a trap, that women are either femme fatales or hidden femme fatales or victims. This film, I think, managed to update those tropes without falling into those same traps mm. the, yes. you, you have several women or you've got the main girlfriend who passes away you've got the actress or director of, of the play who is Brendan's ex who's clearly the master of her own sexual agency and a domineering character in her own world 
you've got the i can't remember her name now laura the one of the uh, the posh kids who she tries to who brendan tries to find his way in with and um possible um love interest at various points uh, it managed to update the idea of a femme fatale and the idea of of, of these kind of sexual non-sexual characters without resulting to those old tropes Mm. There is there is that scene with Kara, who is probably his ex. You don't really know, but is also the the um, actor and director. Mm. Um, and he gets information from her, and she's involved with is it Dode? Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's that scene where he confronts her um, after Dode's death, saying. How dare you do this? He bursts into the room saying, "How dare you?" And she acts. Oh, she acts the victim. That's mm. that's the thing. She acts the role of the victim in a film noir, saying, "Oh, I didn't know. I w- I was just basically I was a victim of this situation." And then she she's got her her pee on there, and she sends him off to get something. And the moment he's gone, she switches, and it becomes totally clear that she was playing the role of the victim mm. for everyone else so that everyone could know that so that this guy can go and report that but actually behind the mask and it's really significant that she actually is in a mask at this point she's in yes. whiteface she's got full makeup on so behind that mask she is completely in control of the situation and she says to Brendan do you now wish you'd known it I mean, do you do you, do you wish you knew what what was coming to you now? When mm. when before she uh, she questioned him that, so she is she herself is subversing this idea of of being that that victim role in in the in the film genre. But I think that's another thing the film does does a great work on of show it, it almost very Brechtian in its way that it shows you what's happening, but you don't realise it's showing you it until it's told to you. Like at the start, you see. He literally opened the scene seeing the dead body of his ex-girlfriend. And you know that's going to happen, but then the film cuts back two days. You very soon, I find, you forget that you know she's going to die. And it doesn't feel like you're building towards it. And that scene is another one with um, Kara. The opening shot is her crying, wearing a mask. And so you could deduce straight away that it's a mask, but you don't, until she shows it to you, makes it makes it text... You don't pick up on all these little clues that are there. Mm. Um, and uh, Pin, there's a character called the Pin, who's the Kingpin, and you hear him being called the Pin several times until someone says Pin, Pin, like the Kingpin, and you're like, oh yeah. And uh, for me, I don't know, maybe I not pay attention, but it's felt to me like there are a lot of these things where kind of things really paid off once they kind of revealed themselves to you. Yeah, I mean, it it took till now, not till now, but till earlier tonight with you talking about film noir for me to think, oh, actually, he's a crime boss, he is the kingpin. Mm. That's why that makes sense. And you've got, I can't, I'm trying with names, but there is a a Brad Bramish, who is a um, football star, Mm. um, who you see, he has two scenes, um, first of which you see him dressed as a Roman senator, talking about how he's never put into the game, how he always wants to put in the game. Second time you see him in the car park, basically giving the same speech. Mm. And then he has a fight with Brendan in which he loses. And the film 
in many ways all the way through is telling you this guy is just a talker. He stood there in a Roman Senate outfit, renowned for just being talking. He, his only two scenes is him holding court, just talking. But at the same time, it's telling you, through our understandings of jocks and football stars, that he's he's big and he's rough and he's 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 the brawler. But at the same time, it's telling you in every scene he's just a talker. Mm. Until you see him lose the fight, it doesn't. It, with me, it didn't twig that he was just a talker. And then all these little things that are in the film at the point suddenly fall into line. Hmm. I was I was surprised, but I don't know. Maybe it's me thinking back to Third Rock from the Sun, which is the first time I saw him. But I, I am always genuinely surprised when I see Joseph Gordon-Levitt able to stand up for himself because he was brilliant in this and also hmm. really physical. And yes. it was it was surprising to me because I think of him as as the the weird old guy trapped in a, a teenage body who's yes. in control of himself. And it, and it is I mean if you look at his his filmic career post um, Third Rock, he has very clearly sort of stepped away from that kind of role. Mm. Um, even in his comedy things like the night before, he still doesn't play that kind of slapsticky role that he played obviously for years. And part of me thinks that's probably intentional. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing I did want to mention, a bit of a, a nod to another film, was um, when they are gearing up for significantly war, and this is another sort of visual clue like the ones you were talking about, but they, they're gearing up to war and he, Brendan, is injured in bed and looks up at the ceiling and watches the ceiling fan spinning around making a noise and it is exactly like the opening scene of Apocalypse Now. So there's that idea of the ceiling fan which in Apocalypse Now becomes the helicopters of war later on. But there is you have that nod to other films as well. So it's not just nod to things happening later in the film. Yeah, and, and, and I think the film is, aside from being a sort of scripturally smart film, is a visually very smart film. And mm. the, the, the scene with once Tugger and or Tug and the pin sort of go to war. One side's in black and one side's in white. It's very clearly, um, sort of pitched as two different sides of the battle. And even there's a scene earlier in which. Brendan finds a mirror to look around the room mm. and then he gets caught in that, and then the mirror spins and all I can think about is those old scenes in, in film noirs when the hanging light interrogation is just swinging back and forth Yeah, it was just it was beautifully the way they managed to take that idea, that visual clue to film noir and build in a whole new manner into this film mm. but still in a way that was evocative of old films and old sort of uh filmic tropes also that that scene where he uses the mirror to look around the room and before before the the violence and tugger and the mirror spinning it, it's it felt like it was the director having a sly dig at the audience because um brendan steps over the brick he steps over this mess on the floor which is what he's looking for and then looks around, can't see, goes to the mirror, shines the mirror in all the corners, which is where you'd expect it to be in film noir. 
You'd expect it to be somewhere he hadn't looked yet. Mm. Oh, I'm going to use the light to look to to find find the secret. And then he turns he turns the mirror around. He looks back the way he came, and you realise that actually he stepped over it. And as as the viewer, you have just gone over the the very point that they were looking for. Well, I mean, the other thing is like the the opening shot of the film is is the is the archway in, in, in on the sewer tunnel, um, and then later on we're shown that exactly in pictographic form, mm. but we don't recognise it. Yes, yeah. Um, and and the film, whilst keeping us in on it at the same time, takes us out of all these things. Yeah. So Sam, recommendations? recommendations. Yes. Well, I've. As I said, recommendations difficult this week. I have a, a couple cross out, including La Malade Question. Um, firstly, uh, I've gone with this um, film noir um, thematic connection, and I've also gone for a film that um, doesn't really make a whole lot of narrative sense, but it, at the end is satisfying in a weird way. Um, and it's just just a great film and fun to watch. Um, it's dated slightly, but films from nineteen fifties do. And it is North by Northwest. Mm-hmm. Um, Oddly, never seen it. Oh well, then then go away and see it because it's people, really good. People write about it. it. Just I've never been. I've never done a lot of Hitchcock watching, and uh, I probably should. Well, it has. Um, it ha- it's quite obvious that it's dated because there are, there are scenes climbing across Mount Rushmore when it's fairly obvious that that's not where they are and also a scene with a crop duster and it it becomes quite quite obvious that there is not really an airplane chasing him. But it, it, is, a, it is a really good film as, as much as it has dated. Brilliant. Um, my second recommendation is... Um, it's, a, it's an actor's one. Um, I looked at um, the past history of Joseph Gordon-Levitt and, and Nora Zahetna as well, and Luke's house, people like that, and um, it appears that they they have all um, been in Ryan Johnson films. There is, they, They've all been in The Brothers Bloom that he later did, and also Looper that he later did. Um, so I've gone for an actor that's not in this clique of Ryan Johnsonites, um, and it is the guy who plays the vice principal, mm. Richard Roundtree, is was a uh, cop in the movie Seven. So I recommend that to go back and watch. It is a cracking film. It's a cracking film. It, it belongs to my my family has a history of choosing not particularly Christmassy films to watch at Christmas and my other half was not best pleased when um, Seven was followed the next year by Harry Brown um, <laughs> but yeah it belongs to a, a grand tradition amazing amazing. I, I, I've as always done very similar and done a, a thematic and an actor follow up so my thematic one is kind of obvious when it comes to film noir but it is a classic, and that's 1941 Multi-Travel. Uh, starring Humphrey Bogart, written by John Huston, written by based on Dashiell Hammett's novel. It is as iconic a film noir as iconic gets. Um, it is 
beautifully acted. It is beautifully shot in sort of gorgeous black and white. And it is everything that a film noir should be. Admittedly, some of it now can seem a bit a bit stereotypical, a bit cliched. But as discussed in the past, these are the films that invented these cliches. These are the films that codified these cliches. Mm. These are the films that weren't cliches when they made them. It is... Yeah, it, it it is, in my mind, probably that and The Third Man are the peaks of the film noir genre, um, as, as I see them. My second recommendation, I did go with uh, Jason Gordon-Levitt's films, and it's a film he made back in 2010 that possibly no one's seen. Um, right. And I, I, I only caught it uh, on download a couple of years ago, and I really liked it. And it's called Hesher. It's, how do you spell that? H-E-S-H-E-R. Hesher. All right. Um, it's very strange in that it's basically the story of a boy, a young boy, um, played by Devin Brooker, who loses his mum. His dad is distant and he's being bullied at school. And... Into his life steps Hesher, played by Jason Gordon-Levitt, who is a drunken, smoking, half-naked, swearing metalhead. Um, it is the complete antithesis, yet also the great example of a coming-of-age film. The you know, the young kid finds a master, but the master is a drunken, abusive Jason Gordon-Levitt. He's got great support from Natalie Portman, from Piper Laurie, from Rain Wilson. It is... It kind of came out, I thought it was brilliant, no one else saw it. Um, but if you if you like films that kind of are funny, but also heartfelt, but also really, really good, Hesher is worth checking out. Brilliant. Right, if you want to come and argue with either of us about films, then we're both on Twitter at Prestige Podcast. You can find just me, Rob, at Rob Kaiju. And just me, Sam, at life underscore academic. But Sam, next week, your choice. Yeah, ne- next week. I feel I have to redeem myself after last week. Um, next week we go, and it was um, kind of triggered by a film I saw at the cinema this week, um, which was, it, it was good fun, but it was a bit meh. Um, yeah. Interesting things about it, not interesting things about it, and um, it was the big short, um, which left me feeling particularly stupid about finance, um, which is how I went into the film, so nothing changed there. Um, But I was reminded of how my attitude towards Steve Carell has changed dramatically, and I've really grown to like him as an actor. I did not like him in The Office, in the American version of The Office, and I have reluctantly come to see him as, as the the really good actor that he undoubtedly is. Um, and so this week's film is from a couple of years ago, maybe, Foxcatcher. Ah, excellent. Not seen it myself. Interesting one to talk about. Yeah. Lovely guys, if you do like the podcast, please give us a like on iTunes, give us a review, give us a comment on Facebook, anything like that, anything you like, you know, let us know that you like it and give us a recommendation. It really does help us sort of get higher 
and more people can listen to us. Um, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr.